like Book Club meets Letterbox meets Greatest Hits meets Happy Hour, but all about TV. Every week, three friends make and debate the case if a show is truly essential viewing. Listen for the hot takes and stay for the camaraderie. I'm Ezra. I'm Mallory. I'm Gina. And this is The Essentials. This week, we're talking about Star Wars, The Clone Wars, the seven-season CGI animated series, originally ran for five seasons on Cartoon Network in 2008 to 2013, one season on Netflix in 2014, and the seventh and final season recently aired on Disney+. Plus. Thankfully, its entire run is now streaming worldwide on Disney+. Plus. As always, a general warning about spoilers. We'll be discussing everything in the Star Wars extended universe. Does that really ruin a TV show or a movie franchise? We don't think so. Now let's get into it. This is like one of my favorite shows. It <laughs> brings tears to my eyes just even thinking about it and discussing it. <laughs> well, you're, you're making it happen. Star Wars The Clone Wars is a CGI animated adventure series that is set during that three-year period, that tumultuous period between the Star Wars prequel films, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. The series serves as a character study on Anakin Skywalker to fully flesh out and explain his transformation from the impulsive, emotional Jedi Padawan we see on screen in Attack of the Clones to the measured and calculating Jedi Knight and soon-to-be Sith Lord that he becomes in Revenge of the Sith. The show also introduces arguably my favorite and one of the greatest and most beloved characters in the entire Star Wars universe, Ahsoka Tano, the young Padawan of Anakin Skywalker. So, Gina, I know that you called me out for recommending 33 episodes or so, 30 to 80 episodes, a lot of episodes of this show. But in my defense, the episodes are about 22 minutes in length on average. So it's definitely not a flex to ask people to go into this show watching so much Star Wars, including including like watching two prequels and like a secondary TV show. But because I care about our listeners and you gals, I will say that season three is my favorite season, hands down, along with season five and a couple of my favorite arcs. In season three, include the Night Sisters, uh, the Brothers Maul, as I'm calling it, the Mortis arc, and then in season five, Ahsoka's departure is an essential season arc to watch. Season six, like crucial, crucial, crucial season, like arc uh, in the entire like Star Wars franchise, is about the origins of Order sixty six, and then also recently aired in February is the series finale arc on the Siege of Mandalore. So those are like the essential arcs and essential seasons that one should watch if they want to get into the show. In my defense and for our listeners' edification, um, one of the ways that we prepare for each week's episode is by um, watching a few key episodes. And usually we try to limit those few key episodes to like, five or six hours of viewing and potentially more if if we're you know really getting into a tv show and the number of episodes that mallory listed as absolutely required was eight zero eighty episodes which equals 33 hours it wasn't 30 episodes it was 33 hours she asked of us to dedicate to this show 
Um, and I was not able to spend that much time, but I did spend more than I normally would have if we weren't doing this podcast. And I will have to admit that, uh, to Mallory's credit, this is a pretty great show. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Yes, Gina. Yes. Okay, Ezra, what did you think of this show? I liked it a lot more than I thought I would as well. I think it definitely does a great job filling in the gaps from the Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Obviously, I went into this very... I was prepared to make a lot of judgments because I grew up with the prequel trilogy, which we all know is is a piece of shit. (laughs) To put it lightly. (laughs) To put it lightly. So I was just ready ready to be disappointed especially since I'm not a fan of, like, animation adaptations of feature films. Like, whenever they do animated TV shows on Disney or Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon, I'm just a little, I'm thrown off by it. But this one was actually a lot of fun. Uh, The scripts were really well written. I feel like the characters were better fleshed out. I think I like Anakin a little bit more, which I never thought I'd say because, The Attack of the Clones kind of scarred me forever. <laughs> you tell me that you like sand? Any true Star Wars fan will know that horrible, horrible line from <laughs> Attack of the Clones. Anakin doesn't like sand. He doesn't. He does not. But you know what? Now I'm a little bit more accepting of him because he's much better fleshed out in the series. And thank God, because... Whoa, did I, even as, like, a young kid, think, wow, this guy is a crybaby. Like, Padme could do so much better. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I was also very ambivalent about Star Wars, like, the films, the original trilogy, and the prequels growing up. And was not really into Star Wars at all, really, until The Last Jedi. Um, But between Mallory's profuse... Um, praise for this show and from listening to the Star Wars uh, segments of Binge Mode uh, my respect grew a lot for the franchise as a whole and I think it's just such a fascinating brand franchise like overall story Um, and its impact on pop culture on the media world is really unparalleled and so it's it's more of like an object of fascination rather than like a favorite story of mine. But I have a lot of respect for what everyone's trying to do with this show. Yeah. And like my history on Star Wars, I actually like grew up in between like the OG trilogy and prequels, but seeing Phantom Menace was like one of the first films that I saw as a teen. Uh, It was like Phantom Menace and then seeing like Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone and I kind of liked Phantom Menace. Uh, it wasn't until I got older that I realized how problematic it was with uh, Jar Jar Binks and just George Lucas's like problematic decisions in general between Jar Jar and the Gungans and the banking clan and like really horrible like xenophobia towards Asian cultures was just horrific and, and not not a good job, George, if you're listening, which I hope maybe one day you will. But I I got a lot of respect 
for Star Wars because my brother-in-law watches all of the films every Christmas while he builds Star Wars Lego like sets. And like I've been with my husband for almost half my life now and just sitting there every Christmas and like rewatching all of like the movies just really made me realize how like profound they are in telling this like hero's journey and then also like Anakin as the anti-hero. So I like Eugenia had never watched Clone Wars before listening to binge mode Star Wars. And listening to, like, Mallory Rubin's passion, shout out to another amazing Mallory, uh, it just made me really, like, want to watch the show because she spoke so highly of it. And then I was just, like, immediately hooked. Uh, I have in bold in my show notes Ahsoka Tano, also in caps with an exclamation point, because she is, she is, like, the single best creation, I would argue, in the Star Wars universe. Like, her importance in this show is just of paramount and we can go into this more in the deep dive section but that's one of the big reasons why i love this show also i have marked down jedi's getting some this show also shows the complicated relationships between jedis and the ones that they love because as a jedi you're not supposed to love but obi-wan kenobi like hot obi-wan kenobi as a cartoon getting it on with like duchess satine of mandalore is such a sight to see even if it isn't cgi and then also the storytelling like we've talked about this at length ezra over text but george lucas is just not a great screenwriter just not great and thank goodness for dave filoni because he really took the helms of this show transformed it fleshed out these characters that we're seeing in the prequels and gave them more life while making ahsoka and then finally, the animation. Like, I'm a huge fan of anime in general and a huge fan of animated TV shows. But this is the first CGI show that I'd ever watched. And it was jarring at first, but then I kind of got used to it. And especially as you keep, like, watching throughout the course of the series, especially, like, the final season, the final four episodes, it looks like a movie. How, like, well-produced it is and how lifelike and realistic it is. It's like you can reach out and touch Ahsoka. Like you can visualize and like imagine what she would look like as a real person, how realistic that animation is. So that's why I love this show. That's why I chose it for this week's episode. And I think if you guys don't have anything else you want to add, you can move on to the deep dive section. Um, I, I have a, a commentary too. Um, but I... The animation style, I think, is probably something that comes up a lot in discussion about this show. And while, yes, like, I did get kind of used to it, I still struggle with it. Like, I'm halfway through the second season now, and there are times where I look at the screen and I'm just not really impressed by the way that it looks. I, I yeah. I will say um, season three, like, Filoni, Dave Filoni has written about this at length. Yeah. They got more money from Cartoon <laughs> Network starting in season three. So they're able to like flesh out the characters and the animation budgets and get rid of that god awful tube top that he made Ahsoka wear in season <laughs> one and two. Dave Filoni, if you're out there and listening to this, shame on you. Like, why are you sexualizing a preteen in a tube top? Like, how is she running around the galaxy in a tube top fighting? Like, she's going to get cuts and bruises and bleed. 
more easily because she's in a fucking tube top. Oh, we <laughs> go about how women do not wear the proper attire in any movie. They always <laughs> wear high heels. They wear tube tops. They wear things that I guess a normal Jedi would not wear in real life. And by real life, I mean just, you know what I mean, you know. Yeah, like, there's, like, another twee, one of the twee, like, Jedis who's literally in, like, a bikini top running around fighting. But I, I don't know if there was a lot of fan backlash, but I just know that in season three, when he got better budget for animation, she no longer wore a tube top, and she wore, like, a cool little, like, one-piece, one like, top outfit. I'll add one more thing. Going back to what Gina was saying about the animation, I sat there thinking, and I started with season one, I was like, oh, these characters are kind of ugly, but in the show's defense, I know this first started airing, like, in 2013, no, the show first started airing in 2008, and it's been 12 years and animation has obviously evolved since then. So I will give the show that benefit that, yeah, I get it. Trust me. When you watch like the final four episodes of this show, you will be blown away how realistic it looks. Yeah. I do also think the beginning episodes or or those first few seasons where they were really trying to stay true to uh, Gendy Tartakovsky's animation style, which preceded the Clone Wars TV show um, with his short stories that are, I think, non-canon now. Um, He has a very unique style that they also tried to adapt. and And so I can respect the design, even if I kind of dislike it. Yeah, you can really see that with Anakin. Like, he looks so much like, uh, I'm gonna butcher his name. Jen, yes. That guy. Wow. <laughs> I can't say his name. I can never say his name ever. I'm so sorry. Dexter's Lab is one of my favorite, like, cartoons ever growing up. And I will butcher his name. But anyways, he has a very distinctive animation style. And you can especially see... Filoni and, and like Co trying to emulate that in Anakin. Let's move into deep dives. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do all we ever. So I just kind of want to start off with talking more in general about the storytelling and Dave Filoni. It's an interesting quirk about this series as a whole that each season and frankly each episode's arc does not happen sequentially. So this means that you can either watch the entire show from start to finish by episode order, or you can watch the show chronologically within the context of the Star Wars universe. And this is just kind of very genius to me, and one of the reasons why Filoni is just fabulous. Uh, There's like a really funny story on the Disney Plus series, Disney Gallery, Star Wars, The Mandalorian. Uh, where all the directors from the first season of The Mandalorian are in the round table just talking about their experiences in Hollywood. And Filoni, who's best known for his work on Avatar, The Last Airbender, prior to The Clone Wars, uh, received a call from Lucasfilm Animation, and he recounted on the series, he thought it was a crank call. He's like, there's no such thing as Lucasfilm Animation. And... Like, I've got the direct quote here. He said, somebody called me from Lucasfilm Animation, and I'm like, there is no Lucasfilm Animation. 
And I had been so excited about Revenge of the Sith coming out because, mind you, they reached out to him in 2004, so like a year before Sith came out. So I was so excited about Revenge of the Sith coming out and talking about it all the time that I thought the guys from SpongeBob were busting my chops over Star Wars. So I thought it was a prank call. You get so tired of being picked on and you're just like, this is a SpongeBob, guys. I know it is. And so I'm like, oh, so you're making Clone Wars. But you kind of already did that, right? And he just proceeds to, like, act like this is just a crank call. And they call him in for, like, an interview uh, at, like, the Skywalker Ranch. And he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. This is just all, like, a big joke. And then he ends up in a room with George Lucas. And Lucas is like, I love the work that you've done on, on Avatar. I want to make the first ever, like, Star Wars standalone TV series that's completely animated. Are you in? And Filoni, to his credit, said yes. And because Lucas, I guess, after doing four films where he was a screenwriter and did a horrible job, like, let's not talk about how horrible the screenwriting is in the prequels, how horrible it is in Star Wars A New Hope. Thankfully, he got, like, some help in Empire Strikes Back. And so that film is amazing, and rightfully so. But because Lucas realized that he needed to take a step back, it allowed Filoni to come in and just create this masterpiece with, like, some really compelling storytelling to fill in these pretty horrible gaps that Lucas created in his films and in the whole continuity of the Star Wars universe, I'd argue. Uh, If you're watching the prequels and you don't watch Clone Wars, three years goes by between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And you're like, what the hell happened in that time? Like, Padme's pregnant? Like, Anakin's no longer a whiny, like, man baby? And he's also, like, hot, but also evil and measured? Like, what's happening? So I kind of love that this show just fills in those gaps so beautifully. Because it makes me, as, like, a Star Wars, like, fangirl, love the entire universe even more. Because I can sit back and, like put my, like, history hat on and think chronologically, like, before Yavin and, like, after the Battle of Yavin and, like, what's going on, the, like, complexity in the entire, like, whole of the universe and and how does, like, this fit into this piece of the universe. So I just think that Clone Wars is kind of the linchpin for the entire Star Wars universe and that it filled in those gaps between the prequels but then it also allowed further exploration into this universe. So if we didn't have Clone Wars, we wouldn't have Rogue One. We wouldn't have Solo. Because there was this proving ground that Filoni had to do in order to show that it would be successful to have a standalone series outside of the films. And because there was this like proving ground that was already made, then Lucas and Kathleen Kennedy could be like, oh, we can kind of like explore more avenues and more characters in the Star Wars universe. And it's just it's just so beautiful that they took a chance on him and that he was able to come up with this. But as I was gonna say, like originally, like the two ways that you can watch this show, you can watch the show in chronological order, season by season. Uh, but there is a handy guide on StarWars.com which explains how the show is not, like, released chronologically in, like, the actual universe. 
And so that's why the show starts really with episode 216. So the 16th episode of the second season is literally like supposed to be the pilot in the like history and chronolo- chronological order of the Star Wars universe. But I just find that so interesting that you can watch it by two planes. So how the characters are growing throughout the series and then how it fits into a larger universe. So some of the key questions that I always would think about as I'm watching Revenge of the Sith is how and why Anakin became Darth Vader. And so I love that Filoni created this character Ahsoka, not only because it made a strong, powerful female lead in the Star Wars universe apart from Leia, which I think was lacking, but it also kind of like rounded out Anakin as a character and made him, Ezra, as you said, more likable even. I found myself like emphasizing with him and really feeling like how he felt as he kind of struggled between the light and the dark because he cared so much for Ahsoka. And this is like a massive spoiler probably for you, Gina, and for anyone else listening. But the show's main thesis is that Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order is the reason why Anakin turned to the dark side because she was a balancing force on him. And when she left the Jedi Order, he completely just started to give in to his urges and the dark side. And Padme couldn't stop him. And the show kind of goes into that a lot in season five and season six. Because Ahsoka essentially is framed for murder, even though she didn't do it. And the Jedi Council, which is a beautiful allegory for the Catholic Church, just immediately decides that she's guilty even though they have no evidence, just because Palpatine is saying that she's guilty because he's trying to play the Jedi Council and bend it to his will, they immediately expel Ahsoka. And then when Anakin, through sheer bouts of like heroic and hero like heroism and lots of displays of emotion towards Ahsoka, discovers that she is not guilty and that she is innocent. And the Jedi Council does an about face and says, Oh no, we were so wrong. We're so sorry. We want to make you a Jedi Knight now. You're no longer a Padawan. She says, no, I need to find my own way in life. A.K.A. a teenager who finally realizes and is disillusioned with the religion that they grew up with. And she goes off on her own. And that event's so traumatic for Anakin. And the show kind of plays this up, especially in season six, when he does some, like, pretty questionable things to former rivals of Padme that he just has thrown caution to the wind and is just going to do what he needs to do to save the ones he loves because he couldn't save Ahsoka. And in the final season, like Ahsoka returns in a really interesting way. And the final four episodes literally are showing like the B sides of revenge of the Sith. So we see like Anakin going off to like hunt Grievous and to really like, go after all the remaining Sith Lords, or so he thinks. And you see Ahsoka kind of like sitting on the sidelines, questioning Yoda, being like, why are you making Anakin spy on Palpatine? And this is right right after the Jedi Council tells him to do it. And then we see him exit the screen in the movie, if you're watching side by side, and Ahsoka comes in to talk to Yoda. So I just find that like dichotomy of the final four episodes, like, so fascinating because we're literally seeing the literal, like, holes. And then also another great thing 
that this show does is fill in further gaps with Rogue One and Solo, because if you remember in Solo, Darth Maul's just kind of there, and you're like, how? And this show really fleshes out Darth Maul in a way that's very fascinating. Mallory, you've got such enthusiasm for this show. Like, I, I swear, like, at times you had, like, tears in your eyes. Oh, like, they're, <laughs> they're there. <laughs> it is, like, such a beautiful show to me. Uh, Ezra, I think um, you had written in the notes that this show had really fleshed out Padme for you. You know, growing up as a kid, Phantom Menace was, well, Phantom Menace is one of the earliest movie-going experiences I can remember. I know now as an adult, I realize the film is incredibly problematic, but we all know that. Uh, But, like, being this pudgy, ugly girl with, like, zits on her face. No, never. (laughs) Too harsh. Yeah, maybe I'm too harsh on myself. Uh, Seeing... Um, Natalie Portman as Padme Amidala was one of the most incredible experiences. She was just so beautiful and she had all these lovely gowns and she, to me at that time, felt like a really strong character. And, you know, I grew up with the prequel trilogy and just seeing them ruin that character movie by movie, it just broke my heart, especially in Revenge of the Sith. At that point, I was just like, I I can't watch it anymore because they just, they did her wrong. And she's such a great character. And what I love about this show is that she's more than a damsel in distress. She's more than Anakin's wife. In fact, she stands up to him in a lot of scenes, and I really love that. She's a senator fighting for a fair democracy. That's what she should have been in the prequel trilogy, but... There were only just small glimmers of it in the third and final movie, and that's it. I feel like they just kind of gave up on her, and this is, but this is like something we see even in the new trilogy. Um, one of the reasons why I have such a complicated with Star Wars, and I love Star Wars, it's just because I've had time to process my feelings in between each trilogy, and they had the potential to do something really great with the new one and the prequels, but they just kind of flubbed it. And they flubbed it in the sense that they casted these really great actors and they just ruined their characters. I mean, you can see the same thing in John Boyega's arc as Finn by the third movie. You just sit there going, what the fuck did you do? Like he had the potential to be a really great character and they just kind of gave up on him in the third one too. This is why I love this show because it was given the space to really explore these characters. Like, who would have thought that the show could be rested, like, brought back to life three, three times? Like, it was on, on Cartoon Network for a very respectable five seasons. Like, that's where the show ended with, like, Ahsoka leaving. And then Netflix is like, oh, I'm going to take a chance on this show and pick it up for a season. And then, like, three years later, four years later, Disney Plus is like, now is the time to really finish that arc. And Filoni, like, went along with it every step of the way. And it really allowed this beautiful, like, fleshing out of these characters to make them more three-dimensional, like you're saying with Padme. Like, she's a badass in this show. And 
doesn't get a chance to even like be seen as a badass in the prequels because she's just kind of like tokenized as Anakin's wife, Anakin's love interest. You don't really see her being a senator. Instead, you see fucking Jar Jar Binks causing like the actual Clone Wars and starting them. There's like a whole theory if you go deep down into like Star Wars Reddit that Jar Jar is like a secret operative of the Sith Lord and he's Darth Jar because he actually gives Palpatine the powers to start the Clone Wars. So that's why I love Filoni and the show because he gave Padme that power. Looking at Star Wars in the bigger context of things, it, it's so. I, what I think is really fascinating about the films and about the stories and about like Star Wars' whole existence is that it holds so many um, contrasts and conflicting motivations. And I think it is something. I think part of that contributes greatly to why it is so successful as a media property and then part of it is why we continue to be really frustrated with it. Star Wars fans are generally characterized as nerds or geeks in in the larger pop culture but then at the same time there are few media properties as blockbuster defining as Star Wars is. You say Star Wars and Disney, you know, gets a dollar. You think Star Wars and Disney gets, you know, at the very least a dime. And the uh, engine of change that that the show has wrought over the last 40-some years is really unparalleled by any other media story that's out there. And so when fans are like, oh, like, you know, poor us, you know, the mainstream doesn't like us. It, I'm really confused because to like Star Wars, I think, is to be really mainstream. And then I think with yeah. the Clone <laughs> right? There was an article that was just published in the New York Times about summer blockbusters and how Jaws and Star Wars created yeah. summer blockbuster movies. Exactly. So to be a Star Wars fan is to be mainstream. That's like a very hot, hot take. And for me, yeah. a woman especially, a woman of color to say this about Star Wars is an even hotter take since historically right. women are I not also, welcome in Star Wars fandom. I also think like Star Wars is also the pioneer of like the winter blockbuster because all three sequel films just broke box office records um, in December for Disney when, when those decided to come out. And with the Clone Wars specifically, I find it really fascinating that it is such a dense and rich and detailed um, set of stories, but it is, or at least like it was originally intended for children 6 to 11. Or if not intended for children 6 to 11, it ran on a network and its success um, in that context of, of where it was and how it was first distributed was very much measured by how many children, specifically boys, six to 11 tuned in. And I think that's also really um, something that audiences have at times struggled with in terms of looking at Star Wars um, as a story. Is this for adults or is this for children? And if it's for both, um, you know, 
does it do its job well? And I, I think that's also really I don't know, something to wrestle with. That's like a very good point. And also I was hoping you were going to go there, but how like messed up is it that we're letting Disney as a corporation dictate what is Star Wars and what is not Star Wars? There's this whole debate about what is canon and not canon since Disney purchased Lucasfilm and just decided to shut out some really great graphic novels and comics that really go into more detail about Anakin, early years of Darth Vader, Ahsoka, Obi, and Disney's like, nope, we can't really monetize or profit on those, so not canon. But these other things are canon because we can, like, spin up a marketing engine and market the hell out of it. And so this is canon. And I just find it so fascinating that they decided that Clone Wars was going to be canon because it bridged the gaps between what was, like, not canon and canon. And I find it so fascinating that Clone Wars has been able to survive all of these mergers and acquisitions and, like, different people heading up Lucasfilm and George stepping away and Kathleen coming in and Disney taking over. And Clone Wars has remained, like, a constant in the Star Wars universe throughout the past, like, 10 years or so. And I just think that's so crazy that Disney is doing this because it's still happening. There are some great graphic novels out there, even about, like, <laughs> like Kylo Ren uh, that are deemed not canon. And Disney is getting away with it, and as fans, we're kind of letting them. I think it's fascinating because this ongoing evolution of what is canon and what is not canon, this is um, heretofore, like, unprecedented evolution of a media property. I think it also shows the power of the fandom in, in that in a corporate way, Disney has designated basically like a swath of this shows or this, this story's past as like this is like corporate fan fiction. And now we've got new, uh, you know, there's a new future and there's a new backstory and all of that. And so I, I'm not mad at it and I don't hate it or I don't have negative feelings towards it. I'm just very amused and I just think it's really interesting and really cool to keep watching it go. I mean, just going back to what's canon and what is canon, I think that's what makes the franchise so fascinating, but also what makes it so exhausting. Like, I, I love the franchise, no matter how much I hate certain aspects of it. Like, I will rewatch the prequels now that I've watched some of the Clone Wars, because I'm really curious to see how the second and third movie hold up with all this new information, but I've just devoted so much time to it. And I know I will continue to devote so much time to it because now we have an Obi-Wan Kenobi show coming and I really want to see it because I love Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, but oh, it it's slightly irritating that I'm going to dedicate the rest of my lifetime to this franchise that will probably outlive me. Not to mention, like, we've got Rosario Dawson coming in season two of The Mandalorian as Ahsoka. Like, the first 
on-screen, in-film version of Ahsoka because there there's a lot of, like, theories about Ahsoka and you, if you watch the, the preceding series, Star Wars Rebels, Ahsoka's this kind of, like, Gandalf character and Filoni, if you follow him on Instagram, has actually been sharing sketches of Ahsoka as, like, Gandalf the White. And it's really interesting that she had been kind of kept out of the film franchises for so long. And then we finally get her introduced in the film franchise after, like, 10 years in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Barring, like, how horrible that film was, how not well executed it was, we get to hear Ahsoka finally, like, on screen as she tells Rey to bring back the balance as I did. And, like, the final moments with, like, Rey is, like, asking the Jedi's for support. Like, we hear her voice, and I actually had to go see the movie a second time, even though it was so bad, just to, like, confirm that, yes, I did hear Ahsoka's voice. So I think it's, like, really fascinating that we're going to get her in The Mandalorian, even though it's literally taking up so much of my time having watched count I could probably watched like a year or two in like real time Star Wars content in the past like couple of months. Let alone like binging through this show in its entirety between like December and February so that way I could watch season seven in real time as it came out on Disney Plus. But I've devoted so much time to the show. And <laughs> it's just so true, Ezra. It can be exhausting. Yeah, I I completely missed out on this, and I completely actually missed out on The Mandalorian too. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Would the show be as great as it is if Baby Yoda wasn't in it? Like, I'm I'm getting to that point where I'm getting exhausted, and the only two examples of Star Wars content that I can really rewatch over and over and not get tired is The Empire Strikes Back. And also Rogue One, which I think is great because you can go into it not knowing very little about the franchise. And it makes more sense than you think it would. With the Clone Wars, I just had to keep looking up things on Wikipedia because I was just like, I don't remember any of this. Like That also makes the show like more fun, in my opinion, because I love that kind of like second screening but i will say like if you stick with clone wars and you move on to star wars rebels which i will say is even better than clone wars i'm currently watching season two which is like all ahsoka all the time uh there are like some subtle references to the characters of star Wars rebels in rogue one if you like watch a couple scenes including like a couple of like the ships uh are referenced prominently in that series so uh, the connections keep on going, and the exhaustive investigative work to make those connections will always be happening. And someone will do it, if not me or you or Gina. Someone will do it for us. <laughs> I don't think I like any franchise as much as you love this one, Mallory. Like I, 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 love, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even love this franchise as much as I love Harry Potter. Like, let's be real. Let's be, like, honest. This is, like, a tenth of my obsession that I give to, like, Harry Potter and the books and the TV shows and even the god-awful Fantastic Beasts franchise and JK being a horrible person in, in, in like, real life. But I love this franchise a lot 
but there are so many franchises that also hold a special place in my life that tell this hero story, which is like an arc and like a type of story that I constantly come back to. The more I'm talking about it, the more I realize I'm just... Lately, Star Wars has just really disappointed me, so I'm just... I'm having a hard time getting back into it. That said, The Clone Wars, from what I've seen so far, is a very enjoyable experience. I Because the storytelling's great, the character arcs are great... The score holds up really well, too, and, you know, you have to fill some big shoes. You have John Williams, who's been at the helm of each movie. So it's like, oh, God, can anyone be as good as him? And, yeah, I really like the score in this show. It's really great. All right, uh, transitioning then to our final judgments and whether or not we think Star Wars, the Clone Wars, is essential. Ezra, what's your take? So the legacy of the Star Wars prequel trilogy is obviously littered with missteps and missed opportunities. I believe the Clone Wars provides us with a better imagined galaxy. The series paves over all the plot holes in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And the series gives us better developed characters. Hello, Padme. Also, as a writer, I really appreciate that the writing is so much stronger in the series. I mean, as we discussed, George Lucas is not a great screenwriter, but that's also why The Empire Strikes Back is, I think, the best one. It's because Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan wrote the script. He just came up with the story. So I just really appreciate that the series was not written by him. I think that was the right move. Um, I think it's essential for Star Wars fans Having taken a break from the franchise, I had a little bit harder getting into it, but Mallory's enthusiasm has convinced me to keep going. So I'm kind of on the fence, actually. Um, I think it could go either way. If you're a fan, I think it'll be great. If not, you could skip it. Uh, for me, in analyzing the Clone Wars and like judging its essentialism, I have to sort of have this framework in the way that that I think about the show, and I and I um, make that judgment. And so I think to to judge whether or not it's essential, I'm I'm thinking of it like as a TV show on its own, but also as part of the larger Star Wars franchise and as part of this bigger transmedia text. Shout out to Henry Jenkins. And so there's this aspect of transmedia that I, I kind of get really stuck on where um, in an ideal world, every individual episode that makes up that transmedia text can stand on its own and is accessible on its own terms without necessarily um, having access or exposure to the other episodes or, or the other um, other pieces of that world and so looking at star wars uh the clone wars in sort of that kind of vacuum i feel like it really fails uh because to like really understand and to really get what the show is about at least just like from from what is designated as the first episode it is really it, it doesn't do its job well in introducing the world, I think, or introducing the stakes 
Um, I think the initial narration to to the first episode does a really incredible job of giving you a lot of key information in just a couple of sentences. Um, and, and, and like here it is. Uh, a galaxy divided by war, peaceful worlds must choose sides or face the threat of invasion. Republic and separatist armies vie for the allegiance of neutral planets. Desperate to build a Republic supply base in the system of Toydaria, Jedi Master Yoda travels to secret negotiations on a remote neutral moon. That though, like it, th- that's all you get before we're just following Yoda for 20 minutes. And so you get no context for like who or what the Republic is or, or who the separatists are. Um, and what the consequences of invasion would be for a planet. You, you don't get that information either. And, um, I think because Star Wars has really pervaded like I think like Western pop culture specifically um like we understand exactly like Jedi Master we we know what that means and Yoda we all you know think of this creepy green puppet thing but if we're unfamiliar with Star Wars and like this was our first introduction like you wouldn't even know if Jedi or Yoda was like the name of the character and so I and and also that first episode doesn't even have any of our other primary characters like Anakin, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, or Padme. And then on top of that, in doing more research, uh, you find out that the first episode is actually not the first episode, it's the fifth episode. And then Mallory, you mentioned that uh, episode 16 of the second season is actually technically, like chronologically, the first episode. There's like so many areas to start which is great but also not great and and so it's um it's really messy which i think is also another one of those hallmark characteristics of star wars like star wars is a hot mess and is like always a hot mess but it's sometimes a great hot mess and so the the reliance and I think over reliance on assuming that the audience is knowledgeable about the Star Wars universe that part just like I I feel like I cannot say that it's an essential tv show um in and I could go on in a lot of other ways on (laughs) why I think it fails as a tv show or like as an essential tv show um but as part of the Star Wars universe and as sort of like a groundbreaking TV show for for what it does as part of this larger media universe, I think it could be considered essential. And like in its defense, a lot of it was Cartoon Network's horrible, horrible marketing and distribution calendar by making the first four episodes part of a larger Clone Wars standalone movie that came out about like two or three weeks before the first episode of Clone Wars, the TV show, filmed. So if you weren't watching the Clone Wars on Cartoon Network in 2008, like, I can see your point. It makes no sense. Because oh, oh no, I've, I've got to stop you there. So, because having, having been on the team that marketed uh, the Clone Wars, not, not during these, like, early seasons, mm-hmm. but seeing that relationship, it was very much Lucasfilm driving a lot of things. I, I don't. I don't think you can blame Cartoon Network for a lot of the missteps. And okay, uh, <laughs> I mean, it just comes down to poor distribution, really. I, like, I I can agree with that. 
Like, I don't think Cartoon Network was necessarily the right place to roll this out. Yeah, I think that if it was like if Netflix existed at the time, it could have had like a much smoother rollout. Because when Netflix took over for season six, it's like very seamless and dare I say it, linear storytelling throughout the entire season. But on that note, I will say you already know that I think Clone Wars is an essential TV show. I will give you a few reasons why for you listeners who love Star Wars and for you listeners who don't. If you love Star Wars, the series beautifully fills in the gaps in Lucas's storytelling to tell a richer and more well-rounded Skywalker saga. It will make you dare I say it, appreciate even Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I rewatched both uh, recently, as in the last month, and I found myself actually enjoying Attack of the Clones a little bit more because I'd seen all of the Clone Wars. I will also say if you are a fan of Star Wars, I've said before, this series is the linchpin of the entire franchise. It was the proving ground for future extended series and movies in the wider Star Wars universe. You wouldn't have Rogue One, you wouldn't have Solo, you wouldn't have Mandalorian if Lucasfilm didn't take a chance on Clone Wars. It's just like a fact. This was the first time that George Lucas decided to test out this theory of a standalone series in Star Wars universe. So those are like two reasons why you'll love this show if you are a Star Wars fan. If you're not a Star Wars fan, a reason why this show is essential and important is because of Ahsoka Tano. Uh, there are very few powerful teenage female leads in Y7 TV shows in that time, especially on Cartoon Network. And I think the show is groundbreaking for making this male-centric action cartoon have like a powerful female and exploring her progression and role as a character. Uh, letting her not wear a tube top was one of the most groundbreaking things that Filoni could have done to make this show better. So I think that Ahsoka is like a key reason why the show is essential because it kind of explores and gives permission to have powerful females in all preceding cartoons. Uh, obviously, I love Powerpuff Girls and that came out well before this, but I think that Ahsoka really shows that like proven ground that young boys can get into Ahsoka and females can see themselves like mirrored on screen in this like lovely Padawan. I also think that this series is essential purely for animation and kind of making it more mature so that way adults myself and and kids could enjoy the same show. It kind of proves that you don't have to be childish as an adult to watch animation and it kind of shows children that animation has power and it kind of can inspire future animators to really broaden and test the limits of the medium. And so I think that Clone Wars has done so much for the medium of CGI in general and for animation. And for those reasons, I think that this show is essential for non-fans and fans alike. And with that, my friend, this wraps another episode of The Essentials. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. We're now available on all platforms, so please give us some amazing reviews, five-star ratings on Apple. Thank you for listening.